a woman went to a divorce lawyer. He asked her, well, do you have grounds? She said, yeah, about a half an acre. <laughs> no, no, uh, do you have a grudge? She said, no, but we have a very nice carport. <laughs> well, exasperated, he said, well, does he beat you up? She said, no, I'm up before him most every morning. <laughs> well, lady, he said, why do you want a divorce? She said, he just can't communicate. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about communication. This is the third message in our series on, on, on marriage, although what we're going to talk about today and next week is really applicable all across our relationships. But we know that communication is a very expansive topic. I, I've surveyed probably 25 <coughs> books, uh, finding many, many common themes, and of course we're not going to be able to deal exhaustively with the subject today, but I do want to explore a little bit on maybe how to be better communicators. It almost goes without saying that relationships can only thrive if there's good communication. Uh, without it, they can, uh, you know, the relationships just don't do so well, and it's particularly needful in marriage. University of Minnesota researcher David Olson, dealing with data that was based on marital satisfaction of over 15,300 couples, asked what predicts happiness for marrieds. The first thing mentioned, good communication skills. Olson also studied 5,020 engaged couples who went to premarital counselors. According to his research, about 22% had enough relationship problems right off the bat to eventually cause divorce. Their worst deficits, communication, and conflict resolution skills. And that's why our final topic next week will be on dealing with conflict. God gave us in creation this wonderful capacity to communicate. And with this capacity comes the awesome power to encourage or discourage to, bear to, 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 to pull down or to build up, to ignore or to engage, to illuminate or to intimidate, to, to soothe or to irritate, to enhance or to detract. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about communication, and, and we'll be looking at a number of passages and verses out of that book throughout this message. Let me just give you some examples up front. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Proverbs 26, 20, or 16, 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, there are a number of models which identify varying levels of communication. This one, uh, similar to many, comes from the book Together on a Tightrope by Dr. Richard Fowler. And so the lowest level in communication is cliche. It's, it's how are you? How's your family? How's work? It's good to see you. How much of our daily communication do you think is on this level? Probably most of it, isn't it? Uh, there's no sharing of your person. Uh, everyone remains safely hidden. It's almost, in many respects, meaningless interaction, although we engage in it all the time. 
may be well summarized in Paul Simon's lyrics, The Sounds of Silence, where he writes, and in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never shared. No one dared disturb the sounds of silence. Cliché. The next level is fact. This is, this is sharing what you know. You know, again, there's no personal self-revealing commentary on the facts. It's simply a statement or a report on them. In the words of TV's dragnet detective Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> and, and then comes opinion. This is some communication of my person. I'm, I'm going to share with you what I think. I risk telling you some of my ideas, some of my judgments and my decisions. It's still carefully controlled. It's carefully scripted. It's all very objective in nature, uh, still detached to a greater degree. Now, remember, at this level, you can get very emotional. We know that in political opinion sharing, don't we? We can get very emotional, but we don't necessarily go to the next level, which is emotion. This is my feelings, my emotion. Now I tell you how and what I feel. John Powell, in his book, Why I'm Afraid to Tell You Who I Am, writes, it might not occur to many of us that once we've revealed our ideas, judgments, and decisions, there is really much more of our persons to share. Actually, the things that most clearly differentiate and individualize me from others that make the communication of my person a unique knowledge are my feelings and emotions. So if you're to really begin to, to know who I am, then I'm going to have to communicate on this level. Now, guys, this is a pretty standard breakdown point in our communication experience, isn't it? When we get to the emotion level, um, but I have to tell you, I think we're making progress. You know, we're living in the day of enlightenment. We're beginning to get the message. And so um, take a look at this one. I don't know how well it's going to come out, but the ladies are say, I suppose it's their own fault. We're the ones who insisted they get in touch with their feelings. And for the sake of those maybe listening online, one, one T-shirt says, born to be shallow. Another one, closed and proud. Uh, if you can read this, you're too close. Yes, that's all there is. So we're making progress. At least we're showing something. The final level is transparency, openness, and honesty. There, there must be relational safety and security at this level, a place created and maintained where I risk being known. We often relate to only one, two, or three people at this stage, a spouse, one or two other close friends with whom we can be open without reservation. In marriage, this closeness involves sexual intimacy. And for that re reason, it's good for partners, married partners, to confine themselves to this level of friendship with only people of the same sex. Uh, if you're not married, if you're single for whatever reason, uh, be on guard when you're at this level of communication intimacy with someone of the opposite sex. In fact, there's an Old Testament word that's used to describe sexual intimacy. It's the word know. So we read in Genesis, Adam knew Eve. 
Now, there are basically two dimensions or two ingredients of communication, verbal and nonverbal. So verbal means the tongue's involved, uh, again, for good or for bad. And so here now it comes down into how do we communicate. We know that there are differences between male and female communication. And there are a number of factors that contribute to that. One is needs. Remember last week we considered some of the different needs that men and women expect to be met in marriage. The interesting thing to me about that is, is when it comes to the wife's top needs, almost everything involves communication. For the men's top needs, eh, don't really need communication fitting in there. Another is development. Uh, we know that something physiologically happens to unborn boys in the womb. There is what is called the androgen bath that affects things like visual processing, reasoning, emotions, sexual attraction, and speech. Let me just illustrate with speech. Gary Smalley and John Trent wrote a book called The Language of Love. In there, they wrote this. Researchers have shown that from the earliest years, little girls talk more than little boys. One study showed that even in the hospital nursery, girls had more lip movement than boys. That propensity keeps right on increasing through the years, giving them an edge at meaningful communication. Uh, Harvard had a preschool program in, in its research of communication differences between the sexes. After wiring a playground for sound, researchers studied all the noises coming from the mouths of several hundred preschool boys and girls. The researchers found that 100% of the sounds coming from the girls' mouths were audible, recognizable words. The girls each spent a great deal of time talking to other children and nearly as much talking to themselves. <laughs> as for the little boys, only 68% of their sounds were understandable words. The remaining 32% were either one-syllable sounds like uh and mm, or sound effects like vroom, ya, and zoom. And guys, we still talk that way and think we're communicating. <clears throat> it's been found that the average man speaks roughly 12,500 words a day. In contrast, the average woman speaks more than 25,000. <laughs> So you wonder in marriage when a man has already spoken 12,495 and comes home and the wife still has 20,000 yet to go. <laughs> okay, we're different. Our development was different. That's the way that it is. One of the comic strips that I read all the time, I just love it, is called Baby Blues. Check this out and see if it isn't true. I'll have to help you out because it's a little hard to see maybe. On, but at the top, you've got the two gentlemen that are talking, and it's blah, 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 ho hockey, blah, tools, blah, 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 baseball, blah, blah. The other one's blah, blah, basketball, blah, 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 scores, blah, blah, cars, blah, blah. And then, then the ladies are getting at it down in here. And now the couple leaves, and the wife says to the husband, they were nice. And the husband says, yeah, I like them. And then she said, Janet has had some really interesting experiences. And then she goes into this litany about used to be a nurse, a difficult pregnancy, high blood pressure, uh, you know, on and on recipes. And then she ends with saying, well, what about Ed? And he says, well, he likes golf. <laughs> and then you get to the end of the panel and the guy says, what was his name? Ed? She says, man. Hey, that's not far off, is it? Really? 
go to a party, report on your dialogue. Another important factor is there's a different approach to things. Um, you know, for most men, what goes through their minds is what's the easiest and quickest way to fix it. For most women, it's, well, let's, let's talk about it. Real life experience from, 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 from Nancy and me here. <laughs> Not about us. <laughs> Thinking of our boys' grades in school. You know, for me, it's, hey, let's fix it. Here's what we'll do. Nancy, well, let's talk about potential solutions and ideas. We need to talk about this with the boys. Me? No, let's just make a pronouncement. Let's just tell them how it is, how it's going to be. Um, in addition to differences between male and female communication, uh, there are a number of barriers, a number of problems that we face. Um, one is that we have differing personalities. We have different temperaments. You know, some of you are far more communicative than others. Uh, others of us have to work a lot harder when it comes to communication on an interpersonal level. Now listen, it doesn't always fall along gender lines. You know, I, there, there's maybe a generalization, but be careful, it doesn't always fit there. Um, another, I think, issue is lack of good modeling. You know, how many people have really seen good interpersonal communication modeling, particularly when you're growing up? I think most people, uh, they, they communicate with what, how they saw it when they were growing up. There's so much of our, the impact of, of our family of origin, we carry that on ourselves into our lives. Another big barrier we face is fear. Uh, deep communication involves risk. There's the potential of exposure. There's the risk of rejection. If I really open up so you know who I am, you might not like it. You might reject me. And so our tendency is to kind of hold people at a distance. Uh, you know, some people develop a real skill at steering conversations away from things that are sensitive, very personal. Um, you know, we move it into the safe realm of trivia or humor or facts. Um, we're just unable to handle the potential of being more fully known or having to deal with someone else's pain and disappointments if they open up and share with us. What happens is out of fear, then we maintain a very surface, superficial, non-threatening level of communication. Here's a question for you. What emotion do you experience when someone begins to tell you honestly how they are feeling or what they are experiencing? Some of us want to hide. Uh, some of us want to turn the corner somewhere else while others might engage. And then, and then there's something that William Backus calls the spontaneity misbelief. We, we run into this in marriage as well as other relationships. But it goes like this. I shouldn't have to ask. If I have to ask, it ruins everything. Right? We think that that other person, whether it's the mate or, or a good friend, uh, they should be a mind reader. I shouldn't have to tell them what it is that I really want. Or we think that we've dropped enough hints, and so we become angry and frustrated when they don't pick up on it and understand what we want or need. So we make that assumption. Well, they should know what I really mean. So I'm going to give you some suggestions for you to consider. Um, one is make a commitment to communicate, even when you don't feel like it even when you're in pain or just want to hide. 
when you're disappointed, when you hope circumstances and people will, will just go away. Now, a word to you on the other side. If you're the other person, you might have to help them. Have you provided a safe place? Is, is it a secure place where they can open up? Uh, what do you communicate by word and action? Is it acceptance of them or is it rejection? Um, give them a little space. Give them a little time if needed. Um, not any time is the best time for difficult things to be discussed or shared. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. If you've got that skill, use that with a friend, use it with a mate, use it with somebody there. Second, learn communication skills. Listen to yourself as you talk, as you communicate. What message, what tenor, what flavor do you give off? Uh, one writer detailed the 20-60-20 rule of thumb, where he said about 20% of everything you do will be an irritant, 20% will automatically please the other person immensely, and the rest falls in the middle, 60%, where you can influence a positive result through observation and practice. Now, as we get older, and, and you know, we need to be developing these skills all along the way. Here's, here's a good example of what happens. When you're married, if you have children, that really becomes the focus of your life, doesn't it? In your marriage, is, is how are we going to survive these years? Or how are our children going to survive these years with us? But, but then, you know, so that becomes your focus. And then they grow up and they leave and you've got an empty nest and all of a sudden you're thinking, who's this stranger that I'm married to? Because all of my time and effort seems to have been poured into those kids. Um, or maybe what happens when you retire when, and, and uh, uh, all of a sudden you're around the house a lot more. That leads to exciting things. Um, you may have to learn some, some communication skills or be refreshed on some of the old ones. Here's another thing. Be committed to speak the truth in love. Both are needed. Truth makes love necessary. Love makes truth possible. There's always the danger of just speaking the truth, and there's a danger of just speaking in love. Some people bludgeon with the truth, and some just flatter with love. We, we need them both. That's why they're put together in Scripture. Learn discretion. Um, sometimes, let's face it, sometimes it's just better not to speak. Um, Proverbs 29.20, do you see a man who's hasty in his word? There is more hope for a fool than for him. I love L.L. Levinson's definition of discretion. It's putting two and two together and keeping your mouth shut. Sometimes there's a time when we just shouldn't speak. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Sometimes we just, we need to pray that God gives us the discernment to know when it's better to just zip the lip. Um, as we leave the subject of verbal communication, I have to say just a few things about listening. Uh, that's the flip side of speaking, isn't it? It's listening. Um, for there to be effective communication, there has to be effective listening. It's one of the great needs in relationships today, isn't it? 
It's frustrating, isn't it, when you sense that the person to whom you're speaking is really not listening to you? Or, or they're just hearing the words and they're not hearing what's behind the words, the emotion often that's there. So I think we need to really listen to understand. You know, it's so easy. I know I struggle with it. It's so easy when we're listening to just be preparing our response. And oftentimes we miss really hearing what they're saying. Um, Proverbs 18 says, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. And then I think we need to watch out for the filters. Um, one of the problems we face in listening is that we all have filters over our ears. And whatever we hear is passing through those filters. Uh, let, let me give you some examples. <clears throat> what she heard, you don't expect me to take care of the kids, clean the house, and make dinner, do you? What he said, feeling any better, honey? <laughs> what she heard, it's your lot in life to stop whatever it is you're doing in order to serve my every need. What he said, honey, do you know if we have any more AAA batteries? What he heard, I'm going to make you wish you were dead for the rest of the week. What she said, tell me the truth, honey, do I look fat in this? <laughs> what he heard, honey, why don't you put your head in a vise and I'll turn the handle until your skull explodes. <laughs> what she said, honey, why don't we turn off the TV and just talk? <laughs> What he heard, you're way too stupid to be trusted driving alone in bad weather. What she said, drive carefully, dear. <laughs> we have these thoughts, we're, we're going to hear what isn't necessarily being said. Now, we know in addition to verbal communication, there's nonverbal communication. Communication research has identified 10 ways we communicate non-verbally. I'm just going to run through them, see if you recognize any of them. One is the distance or space between people. Uh, public space is defined as 12 feet or more. Social distance is 12 feet down to 3 feet. Intimacy is less than 18 inches. I think we should add an onion breath, and that goes up to 30 feet or more. But, you know, we need, you know, there's different spaces that we deal with. Uh, facial expressions. I, I can't prove this to you, but researchers say that there are over 250,000 ways we can express ourselves with the face. Try it in front of a mirror this afternoon. See, see how many you get. Um, the eyebrows alone can be put into 23 positions. You've got to have eyebrows before you can do that. Uh, the tonal quality of our voice communicates a lot, doesn't it? Think about how we deal with our kids or think about how we deal with a spouse or a friend or something. Um, eye contact or lack of. Uh, personal attire. Hand gestures. If you're Italian, you know how important that is in communicating. Um, body position. Physical environment. Posture? What do you feel when you're talking to somebody and they're sitting there with their legs crossed and their arms crossed like this? It says something, doesn't it? Uh, another one is head movement. 
you know, when I look out over there and I see people, you know, going like this, you know, I know I'm connecting. When I see this, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> so the way we do our heads. So now listen to this. This really reveals a weakness, or we could put it this way, the downside of social media. Because when you email or tweet, there's no communication other than those words on print, on paper. You can't see the nonverbal communication. There's no broader context for the words. And so we try to get around it by using cute emoticons or emojis, or we put LOL behind every sentence uh, to indicate tone and tenor. But that can be very deceptive. I can do that very sarcastically. And so we miss all of that. I mean, many, there have been many times where, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of vent, vented, is that too strong a word, to Nancy over an email I've gotten. You know, and she, said, and she wisely says, well, but you don't know the tone with which that was said. You don't know, because all I'm reading is an email. So stop sending those emails. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> now, to all of those, I want to add a very, very important, needful, nonverbal means of communication. It's meaningful touch. Look at this example from Mark's Gospel in the New Testament. In Mark 1, we read, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand, get this, and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Remember in that day, in that culture, that a leper was cut off from contact with other people, particularly depending on the kind of skin disease that, that came under qualification as leprosy. If they entered into an area where somebody else was, they needed to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people could avoid them. Can you imagine the emotional and psychological toll that that took on that person? And so I think this man needed not just physical healing, he needed emotional healing. He needed psychological healing. And Jesus dared to reach out and touch him. Children need touching. And, and don't stop appropriate, meaningful touch as they grow older. I know it's, it's, this is all skewed because of the, of the world of abuse that we live in. And so we ride the pendulum to the other side. But people need touch. Uh, the Touch Institute of Miami developed a program for grandparents to hold and rock premature babies or young abused children. Here's what happened. The grandparents showed a decrease in depression and fewer trips to the doctor. The children showed an increase in physical and emotional development. We need that meaningful touch. Your kids need meaningful touch, appropriate touch. We need it in marriage, meaningful non-sexual touch. UCLA researchers have concluded that meaningful touch is crucial to the formation and preservation of an intimate relationship. Research has shown that a woman in particular needs eight to 10 meaningful touches each day just to maintain physical and emotional health. Now, husbands, that does not mean one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, okay? Don't fall into that trap, guys. You know, I mean, we're like the man who with his wife went to a marriage counselor. And the counselor got up and gave the man's wife a big hug. And then he said, Joe, that's what your wife needs every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 
Joe replied, well, I think I can bring her Monday and Wednesdays, but Friday's my bowling day. <laughs> Let me wrap up with this encouragement. Put your communication in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Think about how we speak to others. Would it be different if we were to speak with patience, with kindness, not boastful, not arrogantly, not rudely, not irritably, not insisting on our own way? Would, would that change how we come across to other people in our communication? See, that would be communicating in love. If you're married, here's an assignment. Yeah, I do this every week, don't I? But, but this is one I believe that will enhance your lives and your relationship if you will follow through on it. When you leave this morning, at the table by the double doors as you go out, is just a little sheet. It's called 20 Great Questions to Ask Your Spouse. Pick one up, would you, on your way out? And I dare you, talk about it. You know, if you're really uncomfortable, maybe you need to write out the answers and then get together and read it. Um, if you're uncomfortable answering any of the questions, you know, tell your mate why. Suggest that you come back maybe at another time when you feel ready to talk about great questions. Do you want a couple sample questions? Shall I just warm you up there? Uh, what do you need my help with? Do I give you enough space to be with you? What's one thing I can do to take a burden off you? What's the favorite thing about yourself? That's good questions. I dare you. Uh, if you're married, think about what would your marriage be like if your communication skills were better? What if you communicated with more transparency, uh, with, with, with more honesty? And for all of us, again, this applies in every relationship that we have, whether you're married or single. Uh, communication is so critically important. And then so is knowing how to resolve and deal with conflict because we're going to discover next week it's inevitable in relationships. So that's what we'll tackle next week. Let's pray before we go to our dialogue time. Lord, thank you so much for the power of communication. We thank you that you are a communicating God, that you model for us what it is to communicate clearly and, and honestly and lovingly. We thank you that you gave us the power to communicate. You gave us a tongue with which we can speak. So would you help us, God, to become better communicators, particularly with those that are very close to us, our family, our friends, our mates, if we're married. But Lord, would we dare to be honest and open uh, with those that you've put in our path? Help us to learn how to do that better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.